thank you for a new day. Thank you that your mercies are new every day. Thank you that you're with us and you're for us. And we ask now as we look into your word, Holy Spirit, fall down uh, in this place, that your presence would be powerfully among us, moving in us, speaking to us, that you'd be made real. Um, And I just pray, God, that you would silence um, the voices that are um, trying to convince us uh, of things that are not true. And so we just, in Jesus' name, tell the enemy uh, to be gone. Allow us to interact with the one true living God and help us uh, now to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's good to get a little bit of rain, huh? My, how many people, uh, your lawn was sort of like mine, just real crunchy is the word I would use. Um, and finally, we got a little bit of rain. Hopefully we get some more. The thing that was amazing um, when I was walking out to my car this morning to come here was just how that little bit of rain, like even I, you could see in my lawn uh, how a, a little bit of rain uh, could, could go so far and really, really help. It's still crunchy. It doesn't look green yet, but it's a lighter shade of yellow um, on its way to green. Um, but I was thinking about that sort of in, as a metaphor for, for life as a Christian, that um, you follow Jesus long enough, and you have these seasons of like abundance and growth, and then you have seasons that are really difficult, uh, seasons of drought. And I, I've seen this as a pastor so often um, early on in, in a person's spiritual life where they become a Christian and you just see this excitement. You see this, like Jesus is doing, like to them, Jesus is, is showing up in big ways and, and they're experiencing God in really big ways. And then um, over time, that sort of newborn excitement begins to change and there's this, there's, it's, it's not quite the same. And that's not to be uh, unexpected because the Bible talks about how there are going to be seasons of life where um, we turn away. There's going to be seasons of life where God just sort of is more silent. There's going to be seasons of life where uh, God is testing us. There's going to be seasons of life where God is disciplining us. And really, when you look at the only way to really grow faith is to have seasons of difficulty where we're, 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 we're forced to make the decision, am I gonna still follow, am I gonna still trust, or am I gonna give up? But a little bit of Jesus can go a long way. A little bit of rain can go a long way, and a little bit of Jesus can go a long way. And I wanna encourage you, maybe if you're here this morning, you're in a season of drought, that I wanna pray, and I pray, I will pray, that, that a little bit of Jesus will just kind of break through, but don't give up. And that leads into our conversation as we jump back into this series, looking at the book of Galatians. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 3 this morning. Um, But Paul sort of addresses this. And um, there's there's kind of a theological problem is maybe not the right word, but challenge is maybe a better one, that when a person gets saved, when they become a Christian, um, we cross over from, the Bible says, from death to life. We cross over from being like sinners to being redeemed. And um, this is fancy fancy kind of uh, phrase, theological phrase for this. We we are given an imputed righteousness. 
Meaning something's been imputed or given to us on our, like on our behalf. We haven't earned it. We haven't done anything, but it's been given to us. And this is the gospel. You haven't earned your salvation. Jesus earned it, and it's been given to you. It's been imputed to you. So his righteousness, his credit has been imputed or given uh, to you. But then the question that I think a lot of Christians we wrestle with is, how do I move from this reality of being like imputed righteousness to living an imparted righteousness? Meaning, you know, you become a Christian and you find out like, I've been forgiven, I am free, I'm redeemed. Like, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. That we've been free from the condemnation of sin. And yet, the struggle is that we still sin. We still, str- we, we, we go, man, I'm, you know, I, I, I love that, 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 I, that because of what Jesus has done, I'm, I'm no longer a sinner, and I've been freed from the bondage of sin, but like, I'm still struggling with sin. So did I do something wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Am I not really saved? Should I try harder? And this is the, the, the sort of theological challenge that, that all of us as Christians sort of have to, to, to wrestle. The more practical way um, to kind of put this is when you become a Christian, you realize you're forgiven and pardoned and God loves you. However, we find ourselves looking at ourselves and saying, you know what? I still tend to be kind of a gossipy person. I still tend to hold grudges. I'm still having trouble, you know, forgiving. I'm still, I still have bouts of like anger. I'm still struggling with, you know, little lies or big lies. I still have these problems. Why? And the enemy often gets in there and uses these, these sort of questions to bring about shame condemnation, or I just, I gotta, I better try harder. I better work harder. Or fear, like I mentioned, of am I really saved? I heard once Pastor Paul tell a group of us, this was many years ago, that the number one way that the enemy can sort of um, cripple a Christian is to get them to question their salvation. Like if he can get you to sort of worry about that, it will keep your mind, your spirit, on everything besides the kingdom and the work that God wants you to do in the kingdom. So, how does a person who is a follower of Jesus, how do we actually change? Like how do we, how do we, how do we not only experience imputed righteousness, but imparted righteousness, where we're actually living different. I mean, now that I'm saved, how do I move ahead? How do, how do, how, now that Christ is in me and done all this stuff for me, how do I live like more like Christ? How do I become more like Christ? And what Paul says in this text, which I'm gonna read for you in just a second, is really the way you enter the Christian faith is exactly the same way you advance in the Christian faith. It is all about the gospel. It's all about reflection of the gospel. And if you boil it down, it's really about seeking Jesus. Like seeking, really seeking him. Like truly seeking him. 
Because when you became a Christian, like you sought Jesus. You heard about Jesus, you experienced Jesus, you heard the good news of, of Jesus, and you'll look Jesus in the eye and you said, I believe you are who you say you are. And I wanna follow you. And if you made that commitment 30 years ago and here you are and you're still struggling with sin and all those different things, you probably think I gotta do something different. But the reality is if you wanna change, you gotta look Jesus in the eye and you gotta seek him with all your heart. That's how you will change. It's not by being a better person. It's not by trying harder. It's not by being a better rule follower or being uh, more Christian. It's, it's gazing and following Jesus with a, with a passion and, and with, with, with a desire. So let me read the text, and then I want to talk a little bit about all the things, like, we do this. But the question is, like, we pursue uh, a lot in life. We give a lot of time, resources, energy to things in life. We put a lot of strength and vigor into pursuits of life. And the question is, are they the right things? So here's what, here's Galatians 3, I'm gonna read verses one through 10. And again, Paul's sort of in this kind of almost aggressive tone with the Galatians because they've been led astray. And he says like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Basically what he's saying is, it, well, the reality is the people in, in, the Galatia, in Galatia are believing that it's about what they do. Their salvation is, is on them, it's on the law, it's on following commandments. And he goes, like, you've been tricked because at the beginning, like, you, you, you heard about Christ, you heard about Christ crucified, you heard about the gospel, and you realize that it's Jesus who saves, not my works, but now you've gone back. You've retreated back to works righteousness. Are you foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you not trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. As it is written, cursed is anyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, Paul's, you know, he's a deep thinker, deep writer, so um, you sort of read some of his stuff, and you're like, what, is, what does this mean? But in essence, what he's, what he's saying is he's saying, like, look, faith and salvation um, is, is by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's really easy for us to become our own messiahs and work for our own salvation to think that we can save ourselves, but we can't. And I, I, I tend to think that two people um, fall, or there's two types of people that, um, that miss this. You have, you have one group of people that are really religious 
And, there, and th this is, I think, what falls into this group of people in, in Galatia, uh, primarily the Jewish uh, Christians here, is that they're, they're looking at the, their, the commandments, the law, as, as their, their means to salvation. And so um, living religiously is really important to them. Now, this is not bad. This is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing now. Like, the law is not bad. You should, you should not uh, be sort of afraid of the, of the commandments that God has given, nor should you give up on them. The problem is when you believe that the law or being a good person or following all the commandments is the, the method toward, to your salvation. It is the means to your salvation. And you have people that are just like, they're, they're real, they lean on their religion. They lean on their good works to justify themselves. And Paul's like, That's, that doesn't save you. Christ saves you. But the other group of people that I think, I, if I, to, be, to be frank, I think I see more of today in the church is a group of people who have swung the pendulum all the way to the other side and they just sort of go, yeah, Jesus saved me. This is great. And then they go live lives just however they want. They go do, and, and they, there's really no difference between them and the world. Like you couldn't pick them out in a group of people as someone who lives Christian because they, yeah, they might profess they're a Christian in, in the words that they say, but in the lives that they're actually living, in the actions of their life, the way in which they use their time, their resources, their money, looks absolutely no different than a non-Christian. And so they receive Christ and they like what Christ gives them. Because now what it, very few people are interested in going to hell. So they like that Jesus has done something to keep them out of hell, but then they go and live just life, the, the life that they want to live. This is what Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. You just take the grace that Jesus gave you and you go and do whatever you want. And you got to remember, that's cheap grace. Like Christ's grace was costly. He died, he shed his blood for you. Therefore, we are called to respond and live differently. And I think what I see is more of what, what Jesus sort of said in Revelation when, when he said like, the church in Laodicea is like neither hot nor cold. Like they're, they're moderate. And I want, you know, I'd rather them be hot or cold. Like I just want to spit them out. And that's my fear for the church in America now is that you just have a bunch of lukewarm Christians who just sort of go, I like that there's activities for my kids in the church and I sign them up for it. And if it works into our schedules, I show up to church on Sunday and I like that I'm not going to hell but then they're just chasing after everything else in the world with no real passion or strength or vigor toward following Jesus. And then they wonder why their faith isn't growing. And so that's where I, I, I want to ask you, like, where is your strength and your vigor going? It's going somewhere. This, this forming men group that we're doing, and guys, like if, I just wanna, I wanna say one thing to make you feel bad, um, and then one thing to maybe make you feel better. If you did not sign up for the forming men group, you are missing out. It's awesome. 
I, it's, and I will say, and I, I, it's not because I'm biased, but I think it's like the best men's group I've ever been in. Now, uh, I hope that they'll do it again in the fall. And I, that's where I'd say, like, I want to make you feel bad because I want you to do it. Because it is worth it. But some of the things that, that I've been learning, it's just been so helpful. And one of the things week one um, that John Tyson was teaching on was in, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul, a man, is speaking to a young man. And, and he's, he's telling him how to live and how to be a Christian leader. And at one point, and I don't have this, you just could have to listen. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And he's calling men to be soldiers, men who are active, men who are using their strength and vigor to fight for something bigger than themselves. And to live like a soldier who's, who's trying to please their commanding officer. Are you living trying to please your commanding officer, Jesus Christ? Or are you living to please yourself? And the problem is, and this is what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's like, you're a soldier. Stop living as a civilian, getting tangled up in civilian affairs. And Tyson talks about how um, this kind of lived out in his life. He said he got wrapped up in this television show that he watched and, and spent hours on. He goes, I knew everything about the show. I knew, I knew about the characters. I knew about their backstories. I knew about the things they like to do on their free time. I mean, he goes, I admit it, this is sad, but I knew more about the characters of the show than some of the people in my church. And he goes, it's not that watching the television show is inherently sinful or bad. He goes, it's just stupid. It's civilian affairs that is just a waste of time. Time that he could have used his strength and vigor for something else, something more meaningful, something more powerful. And I was so like moved by that because I, th I was thinking like, man, I'm putting my strength and my vigor towards something, but how much of it is wrapped up in civilian affairs? Just stuff that doesn't matter. You know, David Cassidy from the Partridge family, his last words were haunting before he died. His last words were so much time wasted that as he sat, you know, laid in his last moments and he reflected on his life, he just realized how much of his life was wasted how much was spent entangled in civilian affairs? And at the end of your life, you are going to care mostly about the ways in which you lived as a soldier, pleasing your commanding officer. You want to grow in your faith. You want, you want, to, you want, to, you want to move from the imputed righteousness to an imparted righteousness. You got to look and go, man, where, are you living as a civilian or are you living as a soldier trying to please your commanding officer, Jesus? Where, are you, where is your strength and your vigor going? And at the end of your life, is it really going to matter? And this is what, this is what, what, what Paul is, is trying to get 
into the Galatians' heads. You're wrapped up in all the wrong things and all the wrong conversations. Your focus is on all the wrong things. And you wonder why you're struggling. In verses one through, tell, one through two, he's telling how the Galatians became Christians. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clear portrayed as crucified. Did you receive the spirit by obeying the law or by believing what you heard? And then he goes on to kind of give a case study about Abraham. And he says, um, you know, that Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Like it was faith, Abraham's faith that saved him. And verse 6 is, is really quoting the, a text in Genesis 15 that I'm going to read for you. It says this, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I be, remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into the deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be a stranger in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved for many years. But I will punish the nation they serve. I will bring them out, of the, uh, out in the fourth generation. When the sun had passed and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. One of my favorite texts from the Old Testament. I've preached on it before. I don't remember when, but this whole story of the weird cut half animals. and the, I mean, it, the, 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 the message here is unbelievable. And I can't go into it because it's a whole other sermon. But um, really what Paul is going, why he's going back to this is he's explaining what it means to become a Christian. That what he says is when Abraham believed God, he was, became a Christian. Now notice something. It doesn't say that it was belief in God that saved him. What makes you a Christian is not just a general belief of a God and that a God exists. What makes you a Christian is believing in the message of God. That means you, you look and you read and you hear the words of Jesus Christ who says, I'm the son of God. And you believe that he is the son of God. And so what God says to, to Abraham is, I'm going to save the whole world through one of your descendants. And this is the gospel because what, he, what God is saying, you know, thousands of years ago, before Jesus is on the scene, is that salvation will not happen through attainment. Salvation is going to happen through divine intervention. And salvation is going to happen through one person, the promised Messiah. This is the gospel. The world is not going to be saved through attainment, but through intervention. It's not going to be saved through attainment, but atonement. And the word that it was, you know, Abraham believes and what God has said. And it says that it was credited to him as righteousness. And that word is really important because it helps us understand um, the gospel. Now, it's translated in, in the NIV as credited. But in the old King James, um, it's translated as reckoned. It was, he was reckoned. And probably the reason that they changed it is they didn't want 
Paul to sound like he's from Texas, you know, like, um, but the word reckoned is, is actually a better word uh, to use, but it's, it's a Greek word that was, it was actually, it's an accounting word. And um, that's important because it's, it means um, to count, to count as. And it would be like this. Um, you didn't do anything, but a million dollars is just transferred and someone else worked really hard and earned a million dollars. And uh, it was reckoned to you. You didn't do anything. All of a sudden, it just showed up in your bank account. It's yours now. You have the value of it. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. But it's still yours because it was transferred to you. It's in your account. It's in your name. Because it's in your name, the value of it goes to you. You understand this? So, when he, so this is the gospel. It's, we're, we're not told here that Abraham just became righteous. The minute he believed the gospel message, he didn't become righteous. He was counted as righteous, it says. He didn't work for it, but it was transferred. He didn't work for it, he didn't earn it, but it was transferred into his account, into his name. That means he has the value of it. It means that God sees him now and treats him as righteous. And this is what happens when you become a Christian. You did not work for it. It was not because of what you did. It's not because of your good works. It's because of what Jesus did. And, and his righteousness has been transferred over to you. The minute you became a Christian, boom. Righteous, boom, saved. Boom, new creation. Boom, you know, forgiven. So when the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. It's amazing. It doesn't mean, you know, like, that you're not still going to struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that you're not going to wrestle with it. You are. We are. And that is a wrestling that's worth getting entangled in. So how do we wrestle? How do we fight? How do we become more like Christ? Almost what, you know, what everybody almost does is we believe that we're justified by faith, but we believe that we're sanctified by trying really hard. Let me say that again. We believe that we're justified by faith, but we also believe that we're sanctified, like we, we actually change you know, the way we're living by trying really hard. And this is what Paul's sort of pressing up against. I remember a season in my life where I visualized, visualized really my, my walk with Jesus as a ladder. And I remember talking to a guy who was mentoring me, like I'd have these moments where like I'd have continue, like consecutive days where I would be good and I wouldn't royally mess up. Or I remember also working on a fruit of the spirit. I'd pick a fruit of the spirit, like self-control. And I'd be like, I'm going to really be like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pump some self-control, you know, and get strong. And maybe for a day or two, I'd be good at it. And I would work my way up the ladder. But inevitably, what would happen is I would sin. I'd fall short. I'd mess up. I'd fail. And, and I visually, I, 
I would, I saw myself just dropping right back down. So then again, okay, start again and keep climbing, keep climbing, keep climbing. And I remember just telling the guy I was mentoring, I go, it's exhausting. I can't get to the top, man. How do I get to the top? You know, how do I, how do I really change? And uh, it's not that it's, it's about like, you know, when you talk about the law, and let me just, let me cl- sort of clarify, when, when, when we're talking about the law, we're talking about the law in, in the Torah, but, you know, we're talking about the commandments that God has given us and the way in which we're called to live. Um, and it's not about law-keeping or law-breaking. It's really about uh, law-relying. It's believing that, that the latter is, is the way in which you live your Christian life. Like the law. So it, see, I was law-relying in that season of life. It was, uh, if I do the good things, I work my way up the ladder and then God loves me more, God receives me more, I get salvation, I know I'll feel more certain I'm going to heaven. See, that, that's what Paul's getting at. He goes, you, see, when you live that way, you're, you're, you believe that the law saves you. You believe that those, those actions save you. But it's Christ who saves you. This is, it's not a ladder. It's Christ who saves you. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep the law or keep God's commands. You should. In fact, if you started to read the Bible and you looked at the commands, you looked at the law, and you implemented them in your life, it would be good for you. It would change you. But if you, if you look at it and you believe that that's, those are the things you do to work your way up the ladder, then your eyes have, have, have you've fixed your eyes on the law as, as your salvation uh, when it sh- your eyes should be fixed on Jesus as your salvation. So how do you change? You got to start looking at the, the right thing. You got to start looking at Christ. And that's what I, I remember, like, my, my mentor telling me. He's like, you got you to stop looking at it. Like, stop looking at all the, the, all the other stuff. Um, your gaze is on everything else but Jesus. And really, when your gaze is on works righteousness, it's, it's really just on yourself. You just got to start seeking Jesus. And that's when my, my, really my light verse came to, came to me, and that was Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. I remember I was struggling. Like, who am I gonna marry, and where am I gonna work? You know, like, all these things, which are important. But I remember, like, my, my mentor saying, stop it. Seek first the kingdom. Seek Jesus. He knows all that stuff. He knows, but, like, that's, Quite frankly, it's not as important. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. He'll take care of the job stuff. He'll take care of the gal stuff. He'll take care of the kids stuff. 
The problem is Jesus just slowly gets pushed further and further down and we get tangled up in civilian affairs. So you've got to understand the gospel and you've got to understand what it means. You've got to understand what it means to be saved and how a person is saved. So you understand that, I hope now? But the second thing is, man, like, if you're super religious, you got, and, and like that, you're, 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 you're holding on to your religiosity as your, as your means of salvation, you got to repent to that and fix your eyes on Jesus. But if you're living over here in cheap grace, and you just love what Jesus has done for you, but you don't actually love Jesus, if you love Jesus, you'd pursue him, you'd seek him, you'd spend time with him, you'd invest in him. And you're just, you're just using them as a life insurance policy. Like, repent of that and stop getting entangled in civilian affairs and start living as a soldier who's seeking to please his commanding officer. And that's between you and God. And that's what you've got to recognize and admit where you are and then turn to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Seek Jesus. I mean, this is the last story I'll tell. Um, so we're moving to Arizona. One of the areas we, we went and we hiked is beautiful area. It's called Superstition Mountain. Maybe you've heard of it. But there is, a, there is a, a story, a legend, that there's a gold mine. It's called the Lost Dutchman's Gold Mine in Superstition Mountain. And people have been going after that thing for hundreds of years, even to this day. And every year people die looking for the Lost Dutchman's Gold Mine. You know, and I just go, is it worth it? but we're all seeking some gold mine in our life. Name your gold mine. So, so, some, of the, some of the things that, that are gold in our life have so much control that we, we literally will die for it. But man, is Jesus our treasure? What if Jesus was our treasure? What if we pursued Jesus with that type of strength and vigor? I mean, your life would, will change. Your life will change. Let's stand together. Jesus, thank you uh, that you love us. Thank you that you died for us. Thanks um, that you, you've done the things we could never do and you've gifted us the rewards that you've earned. And I just pray that God, we'd respond accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.